0: I don't think it's too much of an oversimplification to say that I think that there are basically two kinds of families in the world, two kinds of families. There are keepers and there are exchangers, keepers and exchangers, families that keep gifts whenever gifts are given, no matter what. And then there are families that exchange gifts cold-heartedly. When gifts are given, the families that keep, they will smile as genuinely as possible and they will gush with lavish praise, even if it's the wrong size, even if it's not what they asked for, even if they don't know what it is. Thank you so much for this thing. I love it. I come from a long line of keepers. Then there are the cold-hearted, overly practical exchangers. When gifts are given, these families ruthlessly declare, this is the wrong size. Or, I love the jumper, but I hate the color. Or, the worst, do you have the receipt? (laughs) My wife comes from a long line of exchangers, which makes gift-giving in our home an adventure. You know, it's funny how something as simple as giving and receiving a gift can be filled with such anxiety, isn't it? It just reminds us that both the heart with which a gift is given and the heart with which it is received, it it really matters. It really matters. Christmas is a season that is centered around celebrating the greatest gift in all of human history which many observe with the giving and receiving of gifts. So what we want to do for just a few moments this Christmas morning is just to take a few moments to consider what the Bible says about history's greatest gift, to learn what all of our gift-giving and gift-receiving celebrates, and then to consider the heart with which it has been given and the heart with which it should be received. The heart with which it was given, and the heart with which it should be received. We'll do this by looking at the last few lines of one of the oldest Christmas carols, a song written around six months before the birth of Jesus Christ. You'll find the whole song in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Luke chapter 1, Verses 68 through 79. You can tell it's poetry. You can tell it's a song by the different way the text is formatted there on the page. Since we have such a brief time together this morning, we're not going to look at the whole song. We're just going to concentrate on the last two stanzas or the last four lines of the song. It's verses 78 and 79 in Luke chapter 1. This is the last two stanzas of the song of Zechariah. The Song of Zechariah. So if you brought a Bible along or if you have one on your phone or whatever you have, uh, why don't you open it with me and let's look at these last two verses together. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. The Song of Zechariah. While you're finding it, let me tell you who Zechariah is and why he's singing this song. Zechariah was a priest in Israel more than 2,000 years ago, and he's singing because his wife Elizabeth has just given birth to a son. His name is John. We know him as John the Baptist. He was referenced in that Old Testament passage that John read just a few moments ago, the prophet who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, John the Baptist was a man whose life work was to declare the coming of Israel's long-awaited Savior. And not just the Savior of Israel, the Savior of the world. Upon the birth of John, the Lord opened Zechariah's eyes to see the glorious good news that God was about to keep His promise to send this rescuer into the world. And He opened, the Lord opened Zechariah's mouth, Right, to sing this song, to declare this song. Now, all 12 uh, verses of this song are magnificent, but we'll zero in on the last four lines. So look down with me at Luke 1, 78 and 79. We read this. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, this is the greatest gift. This is why we celebrate Christmas. A Savior will come from outside into our darkness to give us peace. A Savior will come from outside into our darkness. Now, those are the four simple yet profound truths that I'd simply like for us to reflect on this Christmas morning. First, a Savior will come. Second, from the outside. Third, into our darkness. Fourth, to give us peace. So we'll briefly consider these just one at a time. First, a Savior will come. This is the glorious good news that is declared throughout all of the Bible. All pages of Scripture point to the coming into our world of a Savior who would deliver mankind from sinfulness. We try to relegate God to weekends and holidays in our lives. But friends, it's a bad mistake to assume that God thinks of you the way that you think of Him. You can ignore God, but He has most certainly not ignored you. Well, how does God regard? How does He look upon a guilty world? Look again down at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. We see here the simple and wondrous truth that when God regards us, He looks at us with mercy. Mercy. Mercy is when the hand of true and right justice, the consequence for sin, when the true and right hand of justice is stayed, it's it's stopped. This is good news for us because in thought, in word, and in deed, we have all done what is condemned in the sight of God, but He has shown us mercy. I, w- I want us to notice what kind of mercy it is, because we see here that it's not a cold and dispassionate mercy, a mercy that says, I don't really care what you've done, and I don't really care about you, but the text says instead this is, this is affectionate, or this is tender mercy. Mercy. The original word means the bowels from the insides, from the most sensitive spot in the heart of God, tender mercy. So for a world broken in sin, God comes not with a sledgehammer but with a gentle sunrise. Zechariah is singing of the coming of the mercy of God breaking into our world with the beauty and grace of a warm sunrise, a new day, new life. Throughout this ancient Christmas carol, we see that the sunrise is a Savior. The sunrise is a Savior. Just look up at the first few lines of this song. Listen to them as I read them for us. The song begins like this. "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us.'" So the promise of tender mercy, this tender mercy of God visiting us, is the promise that He Himself would come as a Redeemer and as a Savior, and not because we have deserved it or somehow earned His favor or love, The coming of the mercy of God into our world would be like the breaking of the dawn after a long, dark, and cold night. This is just as the prophet Malachi promised it would be as he spoke, as the Lord spoke through the prophet Malachi. Again, we read this earlier. He says this, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing. In its wings. He came for us. But it's also important for us to recognize what we see second. That He came from. We'll just look down at the text. Look at the last two words of verse 78. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. A Savior will come from outside. From on high. Zechariah is singing of the fact that salvation does not come from below, where we are. We are below. The salvation that is promised in Scripture comes from on high. It's not from us. It's not the product of our human striving. It's not the product of our social change agendas or technological advancements. This song confronts. The very human idea that the world's evil can be overcome by the world's good. It cannot. We should humbly acknowledge the reality that most of our innovations have been the byproducts of our conflicts and war. We've learned how to stitch one another back together because we have mastered the art of ripping one another apart. We can't save ourselves. We can't build a perfect humanity. We can't even stop killing one another. Now, I'm not suggesting that we stop innovating or working toward peace in the world, but all around us is the evidence that our sinful human hearts and the certainty of death, these are problems we cannot solve. So this song declares the good news that salvation comes from on high. A couple of lines earlier in this song, back in verse 76, the title you'll see there, the title Most High is given to God. So this sunrise-like Savior coming from on high describes a Savior from heaven, a Savior from God for us. Now, what this song promised is exactly what the host of angels declared to have happened in Bethlehem on the night when Jesus was born, that first Christmas night. Luke chapter 2, the next chapter says, Fear not! This is the Host of heaven, these angels declaring, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Bethlehem on that day, divine humility and divine glory were revealed as the eternal Son of God was born an infant a helpless child laid down in an animal's feeding trough because there was no room in the inn for the one who made all rooms and all inns. A Savior will come from the outside into our darkness. That's what we see third. In the birth of Jesus Christ, our desperate human need meets glorious, divine provision. Look down at verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Now you need to see that this line in Zechariah's song hints at the inseparable connection between the darkness of human sin and the reality of human death. It's the image of us sitting in the darkness found in the shadow of death. This is the darkness which all of our lives are lived out. Present in this Christmas carol, we see the reminder that we dare not use holidays or food or drink or our jobs or anything else to cause us to dull our sense of awareness that time in our lives is passing. And that we have an an, an unavoidable appointment with the end. An unavoidable appointment with death. We dare not use the world around us to cause us to forget the desperate state that all of us are in. Otherwise, we will have no reason to sing. A good friend of ours, Christopher Ashe, wrote this about Christmas and the shadow of death. I was really helped by it. Listen to what he says. He says when someone we dearly love dies, Christmas becomes a poignant and painful time. The empty chair, the empty bed, the empty silence, it all cries woe in the darkness. We feel the presence of death in every sickness too. Even something trivial like a bruise or a cold is the outer edge of the shadow of death. Each year as we get older, we feel the tentacles of the encroaching darkness, sadness of mind, the troubled heart, the painful body, all shout to us, You are going to die, and it hurts. Even our joyful days, the days full of light, are never free of some shadow of worry or doubt or fear. But death, friends... Death, as horrible and as painful as it is, is only the scab. It is not the disease. Death is an outward sign of an inner soul sickness. The disease, the Bible tells us, is sin. Our sinful human hearts. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 5, saying, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. We sit in the shadow of death because of our own human sinfulness. Because of sin, we live from the moment of our conception in a state of separation from God. We were created to rejoice in His glory and to know His fellowship every moment, but these realities are are foreign to us. The separation from God robs us of the very reason for our existence, making it impossible for us to think as we should think, to desire what we were created to desire, to speak as we were designed to speak. This, this is a season, ironically, Christmas time, that brings this reality home, doesn't it? I mean, you can maybe even think about your own heart as you tried to find parking this morning. Listen to this story that I found on, online, this news story. The news story says this, A mother of three children with no prior criminal record was arrested at a well-known shopping outlet for biting another customer multiple times after a fight ensued over a discounted toaster. Words were exchanged and then pushing and shoving and then screaming and hair pulling and finally biting for a toaster, all while her three children looked on. She was not living her best life now. None of us has lived the life we were created to live. None of us have. But that's not all, friends. Sin doesn't just separate us from God. It also places us under His judgment because we have rebelled against Him and demanded our own way Well, we have earned His wrath. The greatest human tragedy is that we are under the judgment of the One for whom we were created to enjoy forever. So the message of Christmas is a humbling message, isn't it? I mean, perhaps some of you are even feeling offended right now. Jesus' birth is at once the worst and the best news ever. You see, safe people have no need for a Savior any more than healthy people feel a need for a doctor. Before we can be healed, we must be humbled So it's here at the darkest point that we can look up and rejoice that a Savior has come from outside into our darkness. And that becomes gloriously good news because we understand that we need a Savior to come from outside into our darkness. And what does Christ the Savior come to provide? The text here says, Jesus came to give us peace to give us peace, to open the way to peace with God. So Christ came from heaven into our darkness to guide our feet, the text says, into the way of peace. The only hope for messed up and desperate people like us was that God would show us mercy, that He would come to rescue us, to be our guide, to lead us to life. And that's exactly why Christ came. Jesus came, just as we sang in the Christmas carols earlier Jesus came to disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. The reason why the birth of Jesus Christ is such gloriously wonderful news is that in his birth, God offers you and me the only solution to the fundamental brokenness of our human sinfulness and weakness. He is the greatest gift. He is the gift of all gifts. Jesus came to live the way that we were created to live, and he did. He lived the life that you and I have refused to live, and He came to die the death that each and every one of us deserves to die. And He came not only to live as we should have lived and to die the death we deserve to die, He also rose from the tomb, defeating sin and death forever, opening the way to glorious, everlasting life through unity with Him, and He invites everyone everywhere to come Come and find forgiveness through His cross and through His everlasting life. There is no other way for anyone to know peace with God. The beautiful news of Christmas is that God wasn't willing to leave us in our tragic and desperate lostness. We celebrate a God who is abundant in love and tender mercy. A God who gives grace to those who could never deserve His favor. He rescues those who could not help themselves. He forgives those who rebel against Him. He came to make the poor eternally rich. He came to make the foolish wise. The guilty He makes righteous. The dirty He makes clean. The lonely He loves. The worthless He values. The lost He finds. The Apostle Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians, describes the surprising grace of Jesus like this. He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Jesus came, and through His death on the cross, accomplished everything needed for the salvation of anyone who would turn to Him and believe in Him. Even the promise of such a wondrous gift from heaven made Zechariah sing. And we have seen that promise come to pass in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. So Christmas is the wondrous news that Jesus suffered for sin so that we might share in His perfection forever. And now... In victorious life, Jesus offers new hope, new desires. He offers new life in Himself to you. And He promises He will be with us always. To the very end of the age, He will never leave us. He will never walk out. He will never disappoint us. He will guide you to peace and life forever. So we'd invite you, friends, guests, Loved ones, turn to Him. In turning to Christ, it is the choice to turn from tragedy to treasure, from death to life, from the shadow of the darkness of death to the light of life with Christ forever. So this Christmas we'd invite you, come and join in the song of Zechariah. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people into the way of peace. Both the heart with which a gift is given and the heart with which a gift is received really matters. So will you receive the sunrise? Or would you reject the way of peace? Oh friends, this morning, let every heart prepare him room. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we may rejoice this morning, not because we have somehow managed to save ourselves, and not because our goodness has managed to earn your favor and peace, but because Christ the Savior came to accomplish salvation for us. So now, Father, we ask that you would keep us from adoring the trivial and temporary things of this world, and open our eyes to see what is truly glorious Let us behold the Savior. Move our hearts to worship Christ the Lord. Grant Your favor to those whose lives have been only restless, that they might come to know the way of peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.